Hello and welcome to The Modern Consultant. I'm your host, Mark Aronson. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of hosting Lisa Fabrica. Lisa has been a leadership coach to six, seven, and nine-figure entrepreneurs. She's been featured in Oprah Magazine, CNN, and many, many more. In fact, Oprah and Gail King showed up at her doorstep. We talk about that in today's episode and much, much more. We also talk about her visibility framework as well as her capacity framework that she uses to be able to unlock the inner as well as the outer potential of everyone that she works with. We also talk about boundary setting, reserving our energy and our capacity and approaching business in a holistic way. I have had the pleasure of working with her myself, and I can tell you that this episode is going to be a very, very special one. I hope you enjoyed as much as we enjoyed recording it. And with that, I'll see you on the other side. Lisa, I just want to say welcome to the show. It is an honor to have you. I have feel I've just felt um, just it's been a great opportunity to get to know you over these past couple months. And for the folks who are listening in, on one hand, they'll be thinking, how did she go from actress in New York making $50,000 a year to then business coach to six, seven, and nine-figure entrepreneurs and Oprah and Gail King showing up at your doorstep? How, what, why? Please tell us more. Well, uh, my simplest answer to that is that I, I've always had a very strong inner hunch that I follow. And I have learned through my life that when I don't follow it, things go badly. And when I do follow it, things go well. And I may not know where it's leading me, but it always I, I've got to the point where I trust where the hunch leads. Me. And so the way that I went from being an actor in New York working at financial firms during the day to pay my bills because even though I had some good gigs that I booked as an actor, you don't work consistently and you've got to pay bills. Um, and so I, uh, at the time I was working at a big financial firm, which whose name I will not say, but I kept getting promoted because I was doing very well in my job there. And that was eating into my time that I would be able to go audition. And they started to get more and more resentful that I was leaving to go on these auditions. <laughs> and so um, unfortunately, what ended up happening is that I had a friend who, sorry, of course, a guy mowing the lawn comes right by. Hey, you're fine. And just as soon as that happened, I heard my air conditioning cut in. Like it's... But actually, I couldn't hear it. Okay, good. So I'll yes. keep going then. Yeah. Uh, so where I was, was uh, at the time I kept getting promoted at my job because I was doing very well. And that was eating into time that I could go through my auditions. And when I had started that job, it was under the conditions that I could leave whenever I needed to, to go on my audition. But you know, as you start getting more and more responsibility, they start wanting you there more. And I realized I had come to this point where something had to give. And at the same time, I had just finished reading Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week during that time. And it, I had never thought, oh, maybe I could have my own business. Maybe I could have a flexible schedule. Maybe I could, you know, do things differently. And that book kind of opened a door in my mind. And I remember I went to my higher-ups and tried to, like, do a presentation about how it would be more cost-effective for them if they allowed us to work from home. 
a couple of days a week or even just one day a week. And I showed them all the statistics about how people are more productive and it makes the company more money. And I remember they just looked at me like I had five heads. Mm-hmm. And I had this profound realization. My talents are being wasted here. This is like a dinosaur. And I am like so innovative and so creative. Like this is not the right fit for me to be here. It just so happened that at that time, I ran into a friend on the street who was on Broadway at the time, also a fellow actor at that time. And she told me, oh, I just started this career at coaching and it's great. I make my own hours. I, I'm making really good money and I can be on Broadway and it works for me. And I thought, well, why, why not try that? And I got that hunch. And it was terrifying because at the time, I think it was $8,000. And I, you know, I was an actor and I was working, I was making 50 grand a year. So $8,000 was a lot of money for me. But I took the leap, I signed up and uh, the rest is history. I, I, it was actually nutrition coaching. And again, hunches, following those hunches, I started coaching very high powered executive women on their nutrition. And I started to notice that we would talk about food like two or three times. And then the whole rest of the conversation was about career challenges, capacity challenges that they were having. And I started to follow the hunches of what the data in my business was trying to show me. And that eventually led to me coaching people on their businesses. So that is how I got here. (laughs) That is, there's so many fascinating threads. And I'm making personal discoveries just through hearing your story as well, because before I also got into business coaching, I actually went down the nutrition coaching route as well. Like uh, behind me, I think it's like right up there is actually my nutrition certification uh, from when I got it. Uh, and I would got up to like uh, 20 clients or so and decided not to go down that route. The other interesting thing that stood out to me in what you shared was had they listened to you with the remote work, they would have been prepared for the pandemic. Oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. You were... Right. Way ahead of your time. <laughs> and, well, would... <laughs> and you know what's funny? I quit, yeah. like, I think I quit about a month or a few months after. And mm. right, I quit a month before the market. It was, this was in 2008. So the market went tank a month after I quit. So it's almost like I knew this stuff was coming intuitively. And by the time the market went like this, I already had my own business. I had, so I was able to not feel any interesting that that is incredible so fast forward oprah's at your doorstep could you tell us that story that's another hunches story it's like this little as taylor swift would say the invisible thread um i have loved oprah since i was 10 years old uh she is my life model um just icon for me And there's so much that I admire about her, her strength, the things she's overcome, um, the way she's been innovative in her field, the way she has defied norms, the way she has spoken about taboo topics that nobody dared to talk about on TV at the time. And so I always felt like she was a mirror for me of what was possible. And she was also talking about personal development during a time that that was kind of new. So she really is like the pioneer of personal development, in my opinion, at least in the Western Americanized world. And what was fascinating is 
this was, I had always had her on my vision board every year since I was 10 years old. Okay. I, I was 43 when Oprah showed up at my door. And I, two years prior, had started to get a hunch again that something was shifting in my business and within me and how I wanted to show up visibly in the world. And I worked with my mentor tirelessly for those two years. And we did this extreme excavation work in terms of my branding, my marketing, the messaging that I was focusing on, um, how I was showing up. And again, it's kind of the stuff that I walk my clients through now is doing that deep dive into your data, but also combining that with where you're feeling called to go. And I realized that I needed to do a complete overhaul. And one of the things that my mentor at the time said to me, which was such a blessing, was, Lisa, I'm just going to be blunt with you. You're not showing how intelligent you are. Mm. And I was like, really? And she was like, you're so smart. And I don't see that anywhere in your branding. All I see is very like goddessy, like soul business kind of a brand. But like you're a hell of a strategist. Like your clients make a ton of money. Like you're really good at business. And I speak about visibility because part of visibility is how we see ourselves. I just did not see myself that way, even though I was. And as I reflected on what she said to me, I thought, Oh my God, you're right. My clients make so much money. (laughs) And like, we're doing strategies in a very creatively different way than what like all the marketing bros at the time were saying you should do, you know, and they were making all this money and they were also able to live these very like spacious lives. Mm. And I thought, so anyway, this leads to me completely rebranding, completely changing how I was showing up, not being afraid to show up as smart and intelligent and talk about topics that were a little bit more complex than make $100,000 in one week or whatever. And during that time, at at about the two-year mark when I completed that shift entirely, little did I know that Oprah had decided that week that she wanted to do another one of those shows where she goes to someone's house and she surprises them. And I don't know how they found me, but I was sitting in my hairdresser's chair getting my hair done and I'm checking my email and I get this email from her brand director. And I thought it was spam. I thought it was, you know, a scam. Mm -hmm. I looked, I I was literally about to delete it. And I, but I was like, let me just look at where it's from. And it was a legit email address from Hearst Magazine. And I thought, oh, I think it's actually him. And I follow him on Instagram. So I'm like, I think this is Joseph. And he he said, we're doing a show. We want to invite certain people, but we know our fans of Oprah to ask her and Gail a good question. Would you be able to hop on the phone today? Here's the funny part. I couldn't. I wasn't going to reschedule my clients. And so I replied and I said, I can't hop on the phone with you today. I'm very busy. I said, no, <laughs> I can tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, no, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. He loved that I did that. Mm. And he was like, yes. So the next day we spoke and he said to me, I have to tell you, you really impressed me that you were like, I don't have time to talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I heard you stop. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'm like, who says I don't have time to talk to Oprah? <laughs> that's great. Like, but for me, it's like, they clients. I don't want to reschedule them. I mean, 
I think I would reschedule in certain circumstances, but this wasn't a guaranteed opportunity. So anyway, the point is, we got on the phone the next morning. We got along so great. I found out that he had done all of this in-depth research into me. Like, I mean, combed through stuff on the internet. There's a lot of stuff about me on the internet. Um, and he was like, I really like your branding. Like, I really like what you're about. And again, I was like, thank God. I redid my website two years prior and I had gone through that whole process. It was kismet. And this was also um, three days after my birthday. And on my birthday, I had written a list and I had put Oprah on there. So it was like a birthday wish. So anyway, long story short, they, I'm about to go on to Zoom. I'm sitting in my office thinking I'm going to talk to Oprah and Gail on Zoom. And I hear someone knocking on my door. And I was, my first reaction was rage because I had told everybody, everybody, I'm talking to Oprah on Zoom to all, because I, I, live I lived in Santa Barbara at the time, uh, half the year. And, you know, it's very close to, everybody's super close. Your neighbors stop by, bring you honey from their bees. So I told all my neighbors, like, perimeter, like, nobody knock on my door. Nobody call me. Put your dogs inside so there's no dogs barking in the background. It was like that. So everybody knew. I was talking to Oprah on Zoom and I hear this knock and I'm like, oh, it's Doc. He got my dog. <laughs> and before I'm about to talk to Oprah, I say to the producer on the phone, I am so sorry. I'm just going to quickly run. Tell this person to go away. I'll be right back. I was... I get to the door. I hear someone screaming my name. Now I think some crazy internet stalker has found my phone. Oh, no. And I'm like, what is happening? I peek through the curtain, and Oprah Winfrey and Gail King are literally right there on my doorstep. And I thought, okay. First of all, I was like, I am just left my body for two seconds. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? You have trained for this your entire life. You've always known you're going to be Oprah. Ground yourself and mm. walk out there. Nice. So, and I and I refused to be one of those people that was going to be like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I saw the cameras. I saw the cameras, and I'm like, Queen Energy, let's go. <laughs> nice, love it. Look. <laughs> Uh, that's incredible. Uh, 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 so many takeaways. One of them being um, Oprah's team has uh, internet, crazy internet stalking and capabilities to find your place without <laughs> so they can show up at your doorstep. It is so true. But it also contains within it uh, just this really powerful testimony to your own frameworks around visibility and capacity. And one of the things that I wrote down here is that, you know, one of the quotes that I've, I've heard you uh, share is that it's not your strategy, it's your capacity. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah. Um, this is one of those things that when you've been doing this for as long as I've been doing, which is over 15 years now, you've worked with quite a few people at that point. I think I've calculated roughly, and I stopped counting a few years ago, just based on all the different uh, classes I've taught, the groups I've spoken to, 
I think I've worked with over 74,000 people at this point in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Not all one-on-one, obviously. Um, but you start to notice patterns, right? And you start to notice uh, common complaints that people are coming to you with and common places where people are getting stuck, especially people who feel called to great visibility and great impact in the world. And I started to realize that problem that we have in the business world, whether it's the online marketing world or it's literally in the corporate world, because I do a lot of corporate consulting too, um, is that we get really hung up on what's the strategy to get me there, right? I'm going to implement this new funnel. I'm going to put this new system into my team. Um, we didn't, we want to get to this next level of revenue. What do we need to do, you know, strategy wise to make that happen? We rarely stop to think about, wait a minute, it makes sense, right? Why would I, why would I implement a strategy that's going to bring in, let's say a million dollars in new business without thinking about whether I and my team have the capacity to handle a million dollars? Yes. And I don't just mean structurally, right? Like you want to make sure you've got the team that can deliver upon a million dollars in business. You want to make sure that all that stuff is taken care of. That's more strategic. I'm talking internally as a leader. There, um, I had a client a long time ago. Unfortunately, she came to me after this happened, which sometimes I'm like, why did you wait? You should have come to me sooner. But she had a business that was making around 300000 a year. And she happened to just happened to hit it. She got lucky. She had a niche that was really in demand. And she blew from 300000 to a million and like, three months. Wow. That is a huge leap to make in your mm-hmm. business. The difference between a $300,000 business, being the CEO of a 300K business and a million dollar business is a huge thing. And it usually takes years. So you build the internal capacity as a leader to deal with like team issues that come up when you're at a million dollars to deal with profitability challenges. She didn't get that because she went like this to a million. That started having major anxiety attacks. Her, she went through three teams. Three entire teams quit on her because she was such an mess that mm. it was horrible to work for. Like, she was honest. She's like, I know I'm a mess. I know I'm not fun to work for. Um, and she ended up getting a divorce. Oh, wow. Well, because, like, her anxiety was just, she oh. couldn't her marriage. It was just bad. Mm. And so the point is, what's the point? of having these amazing strategies if you are not equipped with the capacity to handle what the strategies are going to bring you. Yeah. The, and, the, yeah, the, the metaphorical that, damn broke is what I heard yeah. in that. Yeah. 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 And then the last thing I'll say about that is another side of that coin is that sometimes we get an amazing strategy, but we start sabotaging it. Because deep down inside, we know we haven't set ourselves up structurally to handle what the strategy is going to bring us. So those are the two ways where I see people obsessing over tweaking their strategies. And then they're wondering why the strategies aren't working. And it's because they haven't also addressed their capacity. Hmm. That's so insightful. Uh, I have, it resonates with me. I've seen it with my clients, I've seen it in in myself, and it's it's incredible 
just how much when we do the inner work, it allows us to be able to better handle the outer work and the impact that we want to have on the world. How does capacity, uh, your capacity framework then tie into the visibility framework? What is that? And could you tell us more? <laughs> well, when I was doing my data dive, I realized that there tend to be six areas of capacity that leaders tend to hit walls with. So one of them is money, right? Our financial capacity, who I am as a million dollar business owner and how I see myself as a million dollar business owner and how I show up as a million dollar business owner is very different than how I show up at 10 million, right? And if my if I'm not able to handle the, all the money that's coming in in a way that is setting the business up for success that keeps us profitable, and I'm just used to um, a certain financial threshold, so I spend it all or I mismanage it or it feels like too much pressure to be making that money, um, I'm going to start making bad decisions for the business. So that's money capacity. Then we have visibility capacity, which is really the one I hone in on the most and I think is the source of everything else, <laughs> which is allowing yourself to be fully seen in your work, in your leadership, right? And so a lot of times I find working with leaders that they hide certain parts of themselves because they're afraid of being judged because we're so steeped in respectability politics, um, which is a term that was coined by an activist. Her name was, uh, her last name was Higginbotham. And uh, she talks about, this is sort of like how uh, minority groups or groups of people on the margins tend to restrict and police themselves through certain ideas of what you should be like in Western society versus understanding that it's your diversity that you bring to the table that enriches our society. And so a lot of leaders have this idea that you have to look perfect and you have to look like you know everything. And we put that pressure on ourselves and we start suppressing things about ourselves that actually could make our branding quite unique and incredible um, and that could make our contribution to the world that much more impactful. And it also has to do with how we see ourselves. So visibility applies to how I see myself. If I see myself as not a CEO, how do you think I'm going to behave like not a CEO? Yeah. Um, and then there's a couple others like purpose. A lot of people are building businesses because they make money, but not because it's aligned with their purpose. And then they wonder why the business gets stuck at a certain level. Um, structural capacity issues with your team. What are the foundations your business has been built on? If I'm saying I want to build a $10 million business, but I've got the foundation of a $300,000 business, that's going to be rough. <laughs> that's going to yeah. be really rough. I'm going to get burned out and I'm going to quit and it's never going to get to $10 million. Um, And then we have boundaries. Boundary capacity is a huge one. Boundaries is, I, I say next to visibility is the second one that I work with the most. Our boundaries have to evolve and shift. As we grow, we have to get better at saying no to things. We have to become much more selective about who we allow around us because all those little energy leaks can really impact the level, the quality of the decisions we make as business owners and our growth. If growth to me starts to mean more and more people latching onto me and wanting things from me, I don't want growth. I'm going to start to subconsciously sabotage my growth because it just means more people needing more things from me. Um, and then embodiment capacity, that's the last capacity. And embodiment is literally how you allow the things that come at you to impact you. 
Hmm. And that goes hand in hand with boundaries because um, if I am like a sponge and I'm just letting the way someone behaves in a negotiation impact me emotionally and throw me off for days, or if a mean comment comes in on one of my ads and I let that impact how I'm showing up for the next few weeks, that's slowing down my business. That's slowing down the impact I'm here to make. And over time, people really underestimate this, Mark. It's the last thing they think about. Over time, those little energy leaks and those little ways that you let all these little things impact you and cause an emotional reaction within you, it really starts to drain you and burn you out. And then you never get to where you want to go. So those are the six main capacities. And then I hone in a lot on visibility because to me, everything comes back to your visibility at the end. Lots to dive into there that I quite like. And my own experience of you embodying uh, not just uh, your marketing, but also visibility, I was, I was following you on Instagram, I think for like a year uh, before uh, we had done any kind of work together. And I literally saw you do it, you know, the owning of all the different parts of yourself from uh, business to neurodivergence and just all the things in between. And there was authenticity, but not the fake, like uh, vulnerability and like weaponized vulnerability that uh, a bunch of people and stuff do, which, which is a whole other, I could go on a deep tangent. <laughs> on that piece because it's ultimately just manipulation is what it boils down to uh and then zooming in now on visibility i believe you have six uh different areas that you talk about within the visibility framework could you share those with us yes. i have so many frameworks <laughs> frameworks and frameworks and frameworks i like it's it Start, I'm a pattern recognizer and I start to put things into categories and it helps because once you have a framework, you kind of know where to go to solve a problem versus yep. kind of reaching out of thin air to fix something. Um, well, the reason I honed in on visibility is again, data and research. I started noticing that over the last 15 years, um, people, the number one word on applications to work with me is visibility, 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 visibility. And I believe that every problem in your business, or I've come to believe, boils down to issues with visibility. Team issues, issues with visibility. Issues with how you're showing up, how you see yourself. Do you see yourself as capable of leading that team? Sales issues, visibility. You're, there's some, there's a disconnect in how you're selling where I'm not getting to see you, and therefore I'm not connecting with you, and I'm not building trust with you, and I don't want to buy this thing from you. I mean, I could go on and on, but everything comes back to visibility. Um, and the way that visibility particularly shows up for a lot of leaders is that we start, like I said before, we start to hold back, allowing ourselves to be seen. And that is what makes us magnetic to people is all of these interesting little facets that make us who we are. Now, I'm not saying you have to put your whole life out there because you have a right to keep certain things private to yourself. And there's nothing inauthentic about that. You don't owe anybody anything for them to see just everything they want about you. But um, I started to notice that with visibility, people were feeling like, I feel like I'm a best kept secret, or I feel like I should be in more press interviews, or I should be doing this, but it's not happening, or I'm 
sabotaging speaking opportunities. And it's partially, and here's where the strategy and the capacity comes into play. It's partially because, yes, of course, we have survival fears around visibility, right? In like in our brainstem, what some people call the reptilian brain, we have old memories of being nomadic tribes and how do nomadic tribes survive by depending on each other. So if you got cast out of your tribe when we were early humans, you would die because one person did the hunting and gathering, the other person tended to the fire, the other person did this, and everybody didn't know how to do everything. It wasn't hyper-independent culture like we are now. And so there's this fear of death, literally, if we get rejected for being seen for who we really are and being imperfect and being multifaceted. And so, yes, there is that fear there. What will people think of me? Will people judge me? Will I get beat? Amen. Blah, blah, blah. But honestly, because I'm also very pragmatic, one of the things that literally is like a hack and a shortcut to bypassing that is having clarity. Clarity on how you want to show up. And the six areas of clarity in a business are the what I call the six visibility levers, right? Mm. So we've got your amplification strategy. If more visibility and growing my business is starting to feel exhausting and draining, it might be that I am doing the wrong amplification strategies, meaning I'm showing up in the wrong places. I'm sh- I feel like I have to show up on Instagram and Facebook, but my clients are on LinkedIn, but yet I keep wasting all this energy showing up on Inst- Instagram and Facebook, for example. Or for me, it was, I did two years of nonstop podcast interviews and I got like hardly any clients from it. And yet it was picking up so much time in my calendar that I could have used towards sales. So I cut that amplification strategy out. It was a waste of time and energy. And suddenly I didn't feel so burned out with my visibility anymore, right? Then we have um, uh, amplification strategy. Then we have messaging and positioning. So messaging and positioning, we all know what that is. Positioning is what makes you stand out from everybody else around you. Messaging is how you literally communicate about what you do to your ideal client. And a lot of times, again, when we're holding back on being visible or it feels draining to be more visible, it's because our messaging is not quite dialed in to our ideal client. And so it's so much harder to make sales. We feel like we have to work twice as hard just to get people in through the door because we're not positioned well and we're not, our messaging is not dialed in. Um, Then we have uh, offers, uh, what I call business model, which is your offers and your audience. Again, a lot of times, I just had a conversation with a client about this, visibility and growing your business starts to feel draining because your offers are not dialed in to the audience you actually want to work with or you don't know your audience. And so it's much harder to sell an offer that doesn't fit the needs of your ideal audience. So what do you end up doing? You end up creating an offer that is what's fun for you, but your audience doesn't want it. So it's harder to fill it and you waste all that time and resources trying to sell a thing that no one wants to buy. (laughs) Or you end up with an offer that causes you to over deliver and you're drained and exhausted and burned out. Um, And again, so those are those three. And then we have pricing and sales methodology to summarize that. Pricing Getting paid is an energy exchange. 
if the energy exchange is off, who gets drained, right? Mm -hmm. The person that's not receiving equal energy exchange. And that's how I view money and business. It's an energy exchange. I've given you a certain percentage of my energy and I expect to be paid equally with the same amount of energy. And that reflects in your price. And a lot of people don't price properly and they end up over delivering and not getting the same energy in return. And then they wonder why it feels so draining to run their business over the long term because they're not getting paid enough or they're overpriced. And so people are not the kind of people that are saying yes to those offers are not the aligned people uh, or they're not selling to their audience in the way that they want to be sold to. I started discovering that my audience was burned out on sales calls. And so nobody wanted to get on sales calls with me. Instead of pushing to keep doing sales calls, I started doing DM sales with people. I started doing boxer sales with people. And suddenly a whole bunch of sales opened up because I have mm -hmm. introverts in my audience that don't want to get on a call and be pressured, right? It allows people to have the space to think and make rapid decisions. Um, so that's another one of the levers. And then I think that's five. Um, did I say all five? And then the last one is uh, focus and energy. And uh, no, sorry, team as well. I missed one. Uh, your, your focus and your energy, again, one of those things that everybody ignores, that everybody thinks I'll deal with that later. But where you are putting your focus and your energy as a CEO hugely impacts your visibility. If you are concerned with what your competition is doing and even giving 20% of your energy on the, on the daily to your competition, that is 20% of energy that you have now lost and drained to something that does not benefit your business at all. Because who cares what the competition is doing? Who cares how many people liked your post? I'd rather you use the frustration you felt over three people liking your post. I'd rather use, you use that energy to go make another sale. <laughs> and then you won't be drained by running your business. And then the last place is the last visibility lever is our teams. Uh, I always say, if you don't have the right team in place, visibility is going to crush you, it is going to crush you. And the places where we struggle with our teams as we grow our businesses that burn us out is number one, we are not showing up as the kind of leader that's going to be able to lead the kind of team we want to that level of visibility and profitability in our businesses. And um, number two, we hire the wrong people because we see ourselves as the old self. And so no we're hiring people that are continuously reaffirming the old self and old patterns. And that is not going to be what takes your business to the next level. You got to step into the new self and you got to hire people that meet you at that level. So those are the six visibility levers. And they're truly like, if you listen to them, they're the foundations of a successful business, but they tend to be the areas where we start to drain energy and feel like, I don't know if I want more visibility because all this stuff feels so hard for me. And is it even worth it? That is excellent. And it makes me think of three things. The first is around visibility itself. Uh, one of the reasons uh, that gave me the signal that I was like, oh, I need to talk to Lisa, uh, was I had an opportunity coming up where I was going to be featured to an audience of 300,000 people. And I hadn't been featured uh, to that size of an audience all at once uh, before. And I was like, oh, if Lisa can handle Oprah showing up 
I think she could help. Uh, <laughs> it was the first thing that popped into my head. Uh, and then when we got into it, uh, we started to talk about uh, positioning. And what you said was exactly what I was uh, experiencing at the time where I was like, oh, I'm about to have this feature, but my current positioning does not match even what the current offers are. You know, my philosophy on business, life, all of the things. And they'd work to make sure that that was ready. And that has been serving dividends uh, ever since. Uh, and then the third thing that it makes me think of is business models and the offers being a fit for the audience. You know, um, as you've heard me say many times that I share with my clients, the most talented neurosurgeon can't operate on their own brain. Uh, and I needed someone who could uh, see uh, my mind uh, to help me unlock and find uh, the the pieces that it was just hard for me to be able to see. And one of the outcomes of that was making what felt like a difficult decision at the time uh, to focus on the people who could receive the most value from the skills and capabilities that I would bring to the table. Uh, and that led to, you know, uh, contract valued at, you know, 100K. And uh, the other update is that another one of those um, recently started, like the potential is there for it being like well beyond that. And so, I knew yeah. I was going to get this update. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's led to other uh, uh, great opportunities as well, because one of these standard um, uh, structures moving forward is, you know, um, service fee in addition to a share of profits uh, yeah. that are generated uh, for the business uh, because that's just how much of a contribution that you know, I'm bringing to the table and people know that I can they can rely on me. I'm not going to disappear because we have a vested interest uh, in each other. Uh, and it's just been uh, one aligned uh, with values. And so it doesn't feel like there's any resistance internally. And it has allowed me to show up more for clients and feel excited to do it as well, which has been a really nice shift uh, yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So you see like it starts with you shifting, you getting clarity on it. Start, that's how it started. You getting clarity because we started with messaging and positioning. I remember, mm -hmm. right. Getting clarity on who you're speaking to and who the audience is. And then it, it went to getting clarity on the business model and what is the offer actually that gives us confidence to then go, you know what? I'm going to ask for this. I'm going to show up like this. I remember one thing you said to me, which was really impactful, is I actually now, because we looked at the data, I feel confident in charging this because I know I can deliver this, right? Yes. Yeah, it's not just an empty promise. Mm -hmm. That shifts how you energetically show up to that conversation about that sale, right? Absolutely. You show up with a level of confidence and that other person now goes, you know what? You know exactly how to talk to me. Your messaging is on point. So I feel like you're speaking to me and you are showing up with this level of confidence that you know what you can deliver to me. It instantly makes me want to hire you and and trust that you're the person that's going to take me there. So and notice, like, I don't know if you want to share that, but yeah, yeah, did it absolutely. feel didn't it feel so much more effortless to make those sales than other sales you've tried to make before? Yes, it it really and thanks for that reflection. It, it's 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 very true because once once I detailed out the nine steps that we're using to create all client results through the end of 2024, 
And then for every single one of the steps, I checked our records to see if we had case studies for being able to deliver the result at every single one of those steps. And the answer was almost. And by the time it was going to be time to publish that new roadmap, I would have completed a project to then have all of it. And then that's where, because uh, I know you saw this post that I made on LinkedIn where it's like, okay, in one week, you know, 100K plus in revenue for those clients. And that was like the last case study that then filled in like the greater like nine steps. And then it was like, oh yeah, okay, great. We are off to the races. And to your point, when I get into potential client calls now, discovery calls, everything, it's just, here's who we help, how we do it. Here's the data. Here's who we know is a great fit. Do you fit in? Are we aligned on values? Does it make sense for us to move forward together? And it just very much allows people to self-select out or say, you know what? I love this. Um, not right now, but give me six months or give me nine months, 12 months. Or for the person who is ready, uh, sometimes uh, they pitch me where... Somebody, I get on a call and someone's just like, hey, what have you been up to? I'm like, yeah, here are these nine steps. This is what we're doing. And they're like, can I work with you? I was like, I, j I just was catching up with you. Okay, cool. All right, let's have that conversation. Uh, so that's, it's, it's been great. And that's so, that's like, to me, I'm all about like elegant, simple solutions versus highly complicated strategies that, yeah, you might make like, Revenue wise, the number might look really good, but what is that energetic cost to sustaining that model, right? I'd rather you hone in on the thing that is your strength, the thing that gives you the most energy, because over time, much bigger deals are struck that way. And you aren't burned out in three years from trying to keep up this extremely complicated, multifaceted strategy, because truly in the end, as long as you are CEO of your business, and even as a founder, because I've worked with a lot of people making the transition from CEO to founder, you are kind of the heart and soul and the engine of that business until you decide to exit, right? Mm. Um, and even then, even when you exit, your heart and soul remains there. The, the energy from which you started that company remains there. So we have to think about that. Like We need to think about longevity. And as CEOs, we often get stuck in short-term thinking because we're just thinking about what's right in front of us. We've got to think about is everything I'm implementing a simple, elegant, highly profitable, not just financially, but energetically solution? I, that just actually reminded me of another update uh, for you. <laughs> What's been happening actually uh, with just doing things in an effortlessly energetic way, uh, amplification and a lot of the posts that I've been making on threads and LinkedIn are written from my phone before, while I'm sitting in my car right before I walk into the gym to go exercise. <laughs> I don't have the whole studio and, <laughs> and everything. It's just, okay, I've got like five minutes. Uh, this is what I have to say about this because I need to go get this workout in because that's what I'm here to do. And it no stress. And then I literally release it. 
And then I'm off to do my workout. I come out and maybe later on in the day, I'm like, oh, people are reacting to this. Oh, there are messages. Because I, I just very, I, I release any attachment to the outcome whatsoever. And it just feels right. Because I also know that for me, it's actually part of a bigger strategy. Uh, this is the first draft of my 2024 content calendar. I'm just getting the ideas out <laughs> and then I'm going to go back and then <laughs> decide what we're going to expand into, into longer, uh, messaging, uh, and everything as well. Uh, so that is the other, uh, update that I had for you. There's something else that there's just maybe two or three more questions I have for you. Cause I also want to be very respectful of your time. You've been very generous. Um, money or rather being paid is an energetic exchange. I've heard you say this. Could you share more about that? Yeah. Um, how do I put this into, uh, okay, I'll just speak personally. So when I think about, for example, my one-on-one -on -one work, the one-on-one -on -one work I do is highly paid. And why? Because I know myself very well. When I work with people one-on-one, -on -one, I'm all in on that person. And I'm not just, you're not just paying me for me to show up for two sessions a month. I'm literally, like I was on my bike ride. I do a bike ride almost every morning and it's my meditation time. And I was on my bike this morning and I was literally thinking about one client's problem that we were talking about. And I was solving it and thinking of it from all different angles while I was on the bike. That's time I'm using in my body and my brain and my heart for that client. I should be compensated for that time. And a lot of people, they don't think about that. They think I'm just getting paid per session. That makes you a commodity. You're not a commodity. You're not a tube of toothpaste. You know, you're not a tube of toothpaste where we're competing to see who has 10 cents off at Walmart. You, you are a brain and heart and a, a, you're a service, you are so much more than a service. I mean, you know, you're much bigger than that. And the point is, if I was only charging for the sessions you show up for, that doesn't account for the loyalty, the level of heart that I put into you. The way when you, I had a client yesterday who closed a $6.5 million deal. We've been working together at 1.1. Uh, one-on-one -on -one. and I sent her and she was like oh my god it's because the, the work we've been doing they saw me as this powerful leader in all the negotiations and they wanted me as the lead of all this project and I said and I responded to her exactly like this is exactly it like this is who you are do you see that this is who you are she wouldn't see herself that way mm. and there is an energetic exchange that happens there. When self, when you have a mentor that knows exactly how to gas you up, right? When you have a mentor that believes in you like that, when you don't believe in yourself, there are exchanges I've had with my mentors. When Oprah came to my door, I obviously had a confidentiality, so I couldn't say anything until it was released. But I did have one person I told, and it was my mentor, I called my mentor. And she literally ran out of her hair appointment and called me on the phone. And she was like, she gassed me up so bad. She was like, you deserve this. This didn't happen to you. You made this happen. 
I've I've seen you work the hardest I've ever seen anybody work. That level of someone believing in you is infinitely more valuable than you giving me a good marketing strategy on the phone. Because I can I can Google marketing strategy. It's the energy and the beliefs that someone puts into you that really is what carries you over the line. We all need people that gas us up and believe in us like that. So those things to me are more valuable than the business strategies I give my clients when I'm on the phone in our sessions. And I know the magic and the medicine that I bring to my clients and I believe I should be compensated for that. I know that when I hold you in my mind as being on the cover of freaking Fortune magazine, I know it's going to happen because I'm holding you there, right? And and it's your job to rise up. That should be compensated. And if I was only charging for the sessions that I'm getting on and not the thinking time, solving problems for you in my mind when I'm on my bike, the ways I am literally holding a space for you, no nonsense. We're not doing that BS. We're here. You are here. I don't want to hear about the small self that you're in. I only, I'm only holding you in your highest self. I'm only holding you at the $10 million level, not at the million dollar level you're at right now. Those things are also as valuable as whatever we talk about on a phone call. And if I was only getting paid for my time on the phone, I would become resentful. I would feel like I am not being appreciated. I would stop wanting to show up that way for my clients. And I am not a person that likes to half-ass things. I put my whole heart into and I want to have the bandwidth to be able to put my whole heart into my clients. And so I charge accordingly. And that's what I mean by an energy exchange. If all you're paying me for with the money that you're giving me is for sessions, then I'm only going to show up for sessions. Yep. I don't want to show up that way. That's not how I like to show up. So therefore, the energy exchange that's required for you to have all of my magic and medicine focused on you, that's different than sessions. If I didn't do that, that resentment, that I'm just going to suppress the amount of heart I want to put into you because I'm not getting paid enough, right? Or if I was putting that amount of heart and I wasn't getting paid enough, who's going to have a business in five years? Not me. Because we can't live off that level of resentment. Part of the fuel that we get is being properly compensated through appreciation, through through validation that our work is valuable to that person. And a lot of that is reflected in the price and the money exchange. Hmm. I wholeheartedly relate. I do the same uh, in the gym. I'm problem solving while moving. Some of my best problem solving happens when I'm moving. And there are conversations that I sometimes have on the podcast interviews like this one where it then sparks an idea for one of my one-on-one clients you know or group clients or whomever and I'm like oh I need to record a voice note for them real quick you know and same thing will happen I, I I've woken up in the middle of the night uh last night and sent a message it's like oh this is fresh it's gonna disappear if I don't if I don't do this right now it's gone and this can architect revenue for months to come we need this idea, they need this idea, and I'm going to get it out there. And then same thing, even with conversations that I have with friends, you know, who are consultants, business and everything, and then it sparks another idea. Ooh, that needs to be a voice note. Send it. And I can look in Slack right now. I have an all caps, thank you, 
<laughs> from oh, yeah. one of those voice notes just yesterday. And yeah. who gets paid for that type? You should get paid for that type. You could have been using, that's your intellectual property. That's your brain that you were using for that person. You could have been using that to think about yourself. You could have been using that to like watch another five minutes of that TV show you like, but you used it for the client. And I believe you should be paid for that. And showing value to yourself too. Agreed. 1000%. Uh, there's, ooh, I, I feel like we could just continue this conversation, but we're, I just have like two more. Uh, uh, questions for you. It's probably actually uh, three. Uh, if you were stuck on a desert island with one dessert for one week, which dessert would you pick and why? Watermelon. That's a great choice. <laughs> that's, very, that's tasty and practical all at the same time. That's <laughs> And I freaking love watermelons so much. I eat a whole watermelon every week. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> and very hydrating. That's <laughs> great. Now, I would prefer fruit to like sugary thing. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm not a super sugar person, but I, I just love watermelon. It has so many, it's so valuable in so many ways and it's sweet and it's got like good energy in it That because of all the water that it literally and metaphorically uh the next question if you had to choose oatmeal raisin cookie or chocolate chip cookie which one why okay i'm gonna cheat and i'm gonna say oatmeal chocolate chip is the best <laughs> but <laughs> So there's just like maybe I think like only one other guest who said like the oatmeal chocolate chip. And I didn't even know that was a thing. I went to the store and I was like, oh, this is this is real. Uh, my my world has changed. Uh, so I might have to start throwing that one in the mix. And the final uh, question uh, is if you could go back to Lisa, the actor, knowing everything you know now, what advice how would you give yourself? I would say trust yourself infinitely. And I would say be very careful about who you bring into your inner circle. Hmm. I really like that because it's it's in both ends of the spectrum. You know, it's it's the what to move towards and then also protection yeah um, yep. I was listening to the Britney Spears book on my bike ride this morning and I'm gonna write a blog post about this um the only thing I keep thinking when I hear her story is where were your people she did not have the right people around her and that's the importance that's what I mean like be careful about who you keep around you as we as we grow as we get more visible we have people that are going to be always like slightly nagging us, you know, and we don't realize it. Yeah. Or we have people who are going to gas us up. And we also don't want people that are just always gassing us up and not calling us out either. Right. And so I think it's one of the most underestimated things for leaders 
and I teach it in the CEO ecosystem, which is something I teach in my mastermind and to my one-on-one clients. Um, the people you surround yourself with is going to make or break your success. There's a reason why Oprah only has two people in her inner circle, well, three people in her inner circle, Stedman, Maria Shriver, and Gail. Hmm. That is grounding. Thank you uh, for sharing all of you. Uh, where can we find out more about you? <laughs> well, I if you just type in my name, you'll find me on all the platforms. I'm Lisa Fabrega, F-A-B-R-E-G-A. Um, and I, I am on Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I am, my website is lisafabrega.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on X. I'm on everything. But my preferred places to hang out are Instagram and TikTok. And of course, you can go to my website. Love it. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for checking out the show. If you liked it, go ahead and hit the like button and also subscribe so you don't miss another one. It also tells us which ones that you like the most so that we can then do more interviews like that. If you want to go from idea to implementation, though, especially if you're wanting to productize your expertise so that you can scale your impact on your clients and, of course, grow your business, then join our email list. There we're going to talk about how modern consultants can productize their expertise so that they can have a greater impact on the world around them and live life on their terms. If that's a your alley, I hope to see you on the other side. Talk soon.